Whereas commercial, or at least my projects, I hand them over a design book with every single detail, you know, everything's like really, really detailed and explained, but they're usually like, I like this vision, let's go with it. So I don't want to say more decisive, but I want to say that, you know, they basically get a design package. So it's not like they're looking to change out the newest trend in a few months. We sort of design for a classic feel um, so that it's long lasting. Welcome to episode 106 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Mickey Klein, who is the CEO of Mickey Klein Interiors. And this is an episode I've really enjoyed. I've known Mickey for a long time through social media. We met the LinkedIn Global Conference, and Mickey has built an amazing business in the commercial and hospitality world. And we spoke about just the difference between residential and commercial design, the difference of clientele, the difference of product, the difference of the business structure, and what she's done to really grow that business, how she's catered to that market, and what she's done to really get her hands around design that's important to the client, understanding codes that are impacting that design and that environment, and so much good information about the marketing strategies that she's had and how she's built her business. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast, and I'm Brad Levin. And today we have with us Mickey Klein, who is CEO of Mickey Klein Interiors. Welcome, Mickey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, we're excited too. I mean, Mickey, we've known each other through social media, through LinkedIn and Instagram for many years now through this platform. And you've done work and all the amazing things you're doing, especially with the the little glam you bring to the commercial world. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Well, I, I love that you do a lot of commercial. You know, it's so much different than residential. A lot of the previous designers I've had, you know, do a lot of residential. And the commercial world's so much different, especially hospitality. You know, we've done some work for those clients and those industries are so different. So just talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, your commercial clients as opposed to your residential. Okay. Um, so as you know, because you're very familiar with this, residential is it's very all designs detail oriented, but residential is extremely, extremely detail oriented. And the client usually by the time you implement any of their vision would be like, and what about this? And what about that? And, um, you know, there's constant, you know, changes that they need to make. Whereas commercial, or at least my projects, I hand them over a design book with every single detail, you know, everything's like really, really detailed and explained. But they're usually like, I like this vision, let's go with it. So I don't want to say more decisive, but I want to say that, you know, they basically get a design package. So it's not like they're looking to change out the newest trend in a few months. We sort of design for a classic feel um, so that it's long lasting, basically, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting because as you mentioned, the emotion side's a little bit different, right? On the residential side, um, and we've dealt with this where the client may go through Pinterest that night. They may go through house. They may see a post we've done on Instagram stories and they'd be like, Brad, we need this for our house. And you're already like building, you're in construction, you know, whereas commercial, it's more refined in the sense that, you know, time is everything, right? Because businesses have to be open. And so the emotion isn't as keen as, as a residential project. Correct. That's really what it is. I mean, <laughs> it's just as detailed. So it has really nothing to do with the details. Um, but you design for a long lasting effect as opposed to something a little more trendy or, you know, that owner's taste at the time. So do you get a lot of changes then from your clients, you know, change orders, uh, you know, product, 
um, substitutions when doing commercial? Um, so before COVID, no. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I wouldn't call them change orders. I would say that because the world is very different now, um, there's a lot of stuff on back order that when we go to put it on the spec sheet, it says two to four weeks, and all of a sudden they go to order it, um, and they're like, Mickey, this is not in stock for another 12 weeks. And we're like, oh my gosh, really, it's out of our hands. It's out of their hands. But then we will have to either re-spec or reselect some, you know, in some circumstances. And other circumstances, no, like they'll wait for the lead time if it's a piece of furniture that they don't want to sacrifice that look, you know, we'll leave that. But if it's a material like a flooring um, or a faucet, we'll try to like change that spec out. So really, it, COVID really. <laughs> it's like just the industry. Yeah. Like everyone is coming into this. Like it's the biggest issue now. It's weird. And it continues to change. It's so difficult, especially for you. I know given the residential commercial, it doesn't matter. I mean, the lead time's long. You're still involved in the very beginning. So by the time ordering comes, it could completely change everything, yeah. uh, which creates, I'm sure a lot of work for you and your team. It, it does create a lot of work. Um, but at the end of the day, we want our clients to be happy. And if they were happy with our original um, vision for this space, then we really want them to continue to be happy. And if that means we have to change a few things based on lead times or availability, then to us, we'd rather them be happy and our vision be carried out. Then, you know, we, we suck it up. <laughs> yeah. So how, how does it yeah, how does the relationship differ in commercial with the contractor? Because the reason I ask is a lot of times in residential, the contractor's involved in the beginning and the architect's involved in the beginning. And so the designer is working with that team. And a lot of cases in commercial, that's not the case. Typically, it is hard bid, right? Because they're looking at cost. Uh, they're looking at duration. You know, the, the contractors will bid durations because, again, time's money, right, to get this property open. So how does that differ your relationship with the contractor and, and design experience between residential and commercial? Okay, so I would say that in some circumstances, the commercial you know, projects that we have, they are either the ones that bring us in, the contractors, or they are very heavily involved, meaning even though we're not a design build firm, um, the contractor will be there, the client already knows who they want to use, and they'll be there from the beginning. So it really just depends. Sometimes you're right, they just you know, take my design book and hand it off and bid it out. Um, but in other circumstances, really, I do walkthroughs with the contractors from the beginning because the client has that relationship with the contractor and wants to stick with them. So, you know, we are all involved to where every meeting has the architect, the designer, and the contractor so that everyone's on the same page from day one. So do you prefer one way or the other? I mean, how's it been for your relationship? Oh, good <laughs> question. Um, I actually... I, I like it both ways. I'll tell you why. Um, if the client has a really good relationship with the contractor, then they, they speak the same language. So it's almost more that I'm going with the contractor's, you know, details and his advice or her advice. And we're really, you know, we take over the project, whereas the client just gets to enjoy the end result and very little input. Um, so I like that also. It makes my job a little easier. Um, but the other way also it makes it easier because once I know the client's happy with my design, they'll make sure that the contractor, you know, carries out my design. Um, so it's, while it's different, I don't prefer one or the other. I find them both to, when nothing's seamless, I find them both to be easy to manage because as long as there's an open communication, 
know. Well, well, it just shows that you have a good design book then, because I mean, if if the contractor is able to take, your, yeah, <laughs> if they can take your design book, you know, as a hard bidder, they could do it working with you through the design process. I mean, it shows that right. that information is there for the builder to build from. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty detailed, like elevations, floor plans, RCPs, everything's in there, and you know, we'll tweak it as we go if they request more information or you know, depending on the project. Um, everything's really, really there. So the amount of questions that they come back with are extremely minimal. And is there a ratio based on the commercial hospitality portfolio as opposed to residential that you have? Um, I would say, I would say we're more, um, healthcare, commercial hospitality divides up than we are residential. I want to say maybe there's four residential projects we take on a year, if that. Yeah. So... And so what was the strategy out of curiosity, you know, to, to take that route, you know, to go into the commercial and hospitality world? Um, it's interesting you asked that. I, I really did start off residential and then once we, and then we went into multifamily and then we went straight into like healthcare, hospitality, commercial. I just felt like my visions for me personally were coming to life much faster in the commercial, hospitality, healthcare world than they were residential. Not only because things kept changing, but because um, I guess it is because they keep changing. Because clients, when they're doing a residential project, as long as it's not you know a development that was already pre-made, they change their mind as they go. It's a lot of handholding, um, that kind of thing. Whereas a commercial project or healthcare hospitality. Um, I'm able to hand over the design, the complete design book. Obviously, they're very involved along the way to see their renderings and to see their specs and their elevations. Um, but I'm able to hand that over before construction starts. So it's almost a lot faster. Therefore, we have faster turnover time and we can take on more projects at the same time within a year. It's interesting because I know I've heard you on other podcasts and I think you're on Lou and you talked about okay, how many po- or how many projects do you typically have? So it changes. And typically right now we are in the middle of eight large projects and two small ones. By small, I mean like just specs. So I guess we're in the middle of 10 projects right now altogether. Um, I have a very, very good, good team. Like I'm nothing without them. (laughs) Literally nothing without them. Like I'm also a mom and a wife and I have a life, you know, outside. So for us to all work as a really tight knit team, it really helps the whole process. And we're able to, you know, be involved with all of the projects. We are all very involved with all the projects that go on. So that way, you know, it's just a team. It makes things more smooth and enjoyable, actually. It's pretty impressive. And, and you mentioned that just when you think about your business, and this is really important as, you know, those listening as you strategize, what your personality, and it doesn't mean that you don't get along with clients because you have to get along with all your clients, Mickey. I mean, but you think of the strategy of what your talent suits and the communication and that process and how do you set up your team? You know, it is different. And and with that commercial, as you mentioned, uh, and, and we talked about this early on, the emotions not as 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 strong on the commercial world. And it doesn't mean that they, they, they actually, ex- they're going to expect a little bit more too from professionalism, from design, yeah. from specification. You mentioned the RCPs, right? The reflected ceiling plans. I mean, these details are really key because in addition to not only the design side and the execution, but you have to be really savvy too in regard to code. And if you're doing a restaurant, right? When you're dealing with food oh, yeah. and FDA stuff and you know, and you have health inspectors that come in, 
you know, this is a complete different than a residential house. And for you, it's even more challenging where you have ADA, a lot more prevalent, you know, so bathroom and design. And every city's different. Every, every state city. is different. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, and, and occupancy, I mean, just so many variables. So how do you, how do you stay in front of all these variables from occupancy to ADA to health inspections, you know, and, and, you know, the fire marshal you're dealing with? I mean, there's just so many different challenges on the commercial side. So first of all, I would say we're very heavy into the communication, like major, we're always in touch with either, um, whoever point person is for that project, the contractor, like I said, the architect. So a lot of times when we get the architect's files, a lot of that information is in there, but then we go and recheck. So we will not only use the internet, but we'll go and try to find every resource that we can find to make sure when we're designing, we are within, you know, the parameters of what, where we need to be per state and city. Um, and then comes the decisions on what style they want. You know, some styles don't work with, like you said, like code and regulation. Um, it's just, it's a revolving door constantly, like with what we learn and the knowledge that we have to bring in. So we're constantly per state, per project, you know, oh, wait, that's not the state. We have to go back and do our homework and really, really zone in on what the client needs. And, and what's interesting, where it's even more challenging, how do you stay on top of when you start thinking about finishes, right? Are they sanitary, you know, and, and especially if you're designing kitchens or bars and other aspects of commercial, you know, applications. So do you work with your vendors on that to understand, you know, what yeah. products would be more savvy to use, you know, in a commercial design? Yeah. So we are, my team, I would say, they're very into their lunch and learns. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to um, ask. The lunch and learns is that continuing education, right? Oh, yeah. Um, my my team really does like that. Not only does it give them a break in the day, they get to really like sharpen their knowledge on all of the materials that we use. I'm very into the antimicrobial stuff. Even, you know, I'll try to find a pattern that goes with each design, um, but I'm very into, I want it to be able to be cleaned and sterilized, whether it's material as we use on walls, you know, we'll do a vinyl, that way it can be washed. Um, on floors also, we try very hard that it can be sterilized, you know, with whatever cleaner they're using, um, abrasive cleaners, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, same with materials that we put on seating, like I don't want, I need it to be a vinyl or a leather that, not even, it has to be more of a vinyl um, that they can use harsh you know, chemicals to clean it and sterilize and make sure that it doesn't ruin its integrity with time as well. So I, I love that you share that because this is where, you know, for those listening, they don't realize how complex the day is for Mickey Klein and her team that when you're thinking about, especially with COVID, it's been enhanced, right? I mean, as you're thinking commercial space, it's, as you mentioned, the microbial, you have, you know, the sanitiz uh cleaning and sanitizing, right? If I could say that word, right? And then you have the, right? You have to, yeah. Well, you have, you have abrasive cleaners, right? You have to come in and do these really yeah. deep cleans. And it's not just the flooring. It's not just the wainscoting. It's not just the accent walls, but the furniture, right? The FF&E, as you think about multiple people coming in, whether it be an office or restaurant, I mean, this is really important. The traffic. Yeah. The traffic. Yeah. Um, it's funny you're saying that because there's a lot of materials now that will look like wood or the custom millwork, that kind of stuff. And we can use different materials that hold up to that impact that look exactly like wood. So there's a lot of cool stuff out there to, you know, incorporate as per the client's names, you know, the traffic impact, 
cleaning materials. But I am very like, even before COVID, um, my personality, call it whatever you want. I won't label it as OCD, but I'm very into cleanliness. And I would say I would want it to be all of my designs extremely functional. So, you know, if we're going to be in a situation where I'm putting these gorgeous countertops and all of that, I want to make sure that it can be cleaned properly even before COVID. Otherwise, it it's just, what's the point? Like, what am I doing? So. Right. I mean, you want to make sure your clients are making a good investment. You're making sure your design stands yeah. the test of time. So how often are you involved in the FF&E portion, the, you know, the furniture, the fixtures and equipment, you know, with the vendor? Okay. So we, we spec out everything, every single thing, you know, furniture, lighting, door handles, case goods, everything, everything is selected by us. Um, we just don't do their purchasing. They'll do their own purchasing. Okay. So, so- Interesting. So, so with that, with the with the furniture, so whether it be a hotel or hospitality or maybe multifamily, as you mentioned early on in your career, so you're going to do the specification, but you're not handling, you know, all the shipping, the freight, the storage, and then install. That's something they're taking on, but you're just working from the design aspect. Correct. Well, that must be nice because now you don't have to store that because it can be very complicated, you know, especially on a big project. Yes. Yes. There's liability, there's complications, obviously now even more with COVID, um, all that kind of stuff. So we are a design firm. We do just the design. Um, I know other design firms do it differently. This is the way we do it. Um, I guess that's what makes us very different than other design firms. Um, but it works for us. And and like you said, now I can get faster lead times with our design books and, and that kind of stuff. Well, and to that point, make it, yeah, and, and then really you have to think about what makes you successful as a company, right, for your client. Right. And and t- I shouldn't say in your defense, but to your point here is that a lot of these commercial developers, um, they have access to that anyways, right? I know, you know, we're, I, I, I work with clients that own Marriott's and, you know, Marriott has their own, you, you know, vendors that they purchase from, right? And and really the designer, you would select those and say, this is the aesthetic we're looking and they're doing that anyway. So right. it, it, it's not really conflict of interest. It's just, you're putting them in an opportunity to be successful and it makes you yeah. just in and out. Correct. Yeah. Which That's is super nice. Yeah. So how is it more difficult? Have you found to manage the budget? Because with, with budget and commercial, you know, when you're looking at large scale and a lot of furnishings, how difficult is that? to manage, you know, for the client to make sure that your design will fit their budget? Okay, so it's not so difficult because what they get in our design book are extremely detailed specs. So if you're going to tell me you want a chair, not only are we going to pick the finish, um, the material, the fabric, the make, the model, um, we're also going to be getting the prices for you. If we get a discount, you get the discount as the client. Um, So all of that's on our spec sheets. It's very detailed to the point where they know how much it's going to cost. Now, if they can get it cheaper, that's amazing. And they just save more money. But going through our design books, it's so detailed that they should know exactly where they're at, you know, according to their budget. Obviously, we know the number where they should be. And sometimes they go over um, based on the changes they make. But we try to stick within their budget because we already know their pricing. And how long does it take you to create that design book for your client in the planning phase? Oh, good question. Um, I would say, you know, on average, three to four months, depending on the size of the project. And what is, and, and for size of scale, I know it differs. I mean, it's really hard to compare one commercial project to another because yeah. just 
they're so different, the time frame. I mean, how do they differ in square footage, in demand, in size? Um, yeah, so like, right. So I would say the larger, you know, the more areas that there are, it depends on the scope of work. That would take a little longer, I would say, in the four month, three to four month range. You know, if it's a smaller project, it goes much faster. Um, it, it really, we try to have as fast, like quick turnover as possible. Um, it's in our best interest and also the client because they get their product much faster. So to us, if we're doing a small commercial project, it's going to go pretty quick based on, you know, we try to get all the information that they have and their vision before we even begin. So what keeps you up at night stress-wise from work? Ooh, honest? Yeah. My kids. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. Um, yeah, no, I, I really have a good team, I must say. In the beginning when I first started out, it was, yes, it was work. It was like, oh, my God, how am I going to juggle this? What am I going to do? What if the client's not happy? Um, you know, you live and you learn, and I learn from my mistakes. I'm very, very into criticism. Obviously, I, I find it refreshing because the more black and white my client can be and tell me exactly what their vision is, what they do like, what they don't like, I'm able to give them the product that they really envision from the get-go. So if my client's going to come to me and be like, hey, I don't like the color on the walls, I'll be like, no problem, let's change it. I don't take it personally. Um, that Having that mindset really eliminates a lot of the stress. Juggling my projects, like I said, I have my team. I have you know, five amazing ladies that work here and they're just, they're my everything. Like without them, I could not do what I do on a regular basis. Um, we all help each other. So I know that if there's a deadline, you know, it goes, we have our communication and, you know, we pick up each other's pieces. So the way we have it set up here really, really, really works. Um, like I said, I really can't, I probably wouldn't sleep if I didn't have them. My kids, on the other hand, I would love um, a team for each child. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, calling the troops over here, but no, it's good. What I, I can relate with that. You know, we have teenagers. <laughs> I have junior high and elementary and preschool. So oh, it, wow. it's it's a different challenge at every level, at every age, right? And we're yeah, dealing with different I have things. two high school and one elementary. So it's... Whew. Yeah, so you know the challenge of high school. It's it's a tough age. Oh, my God. I'm, we'll leave it at that. We will yeah, leave it yeah. as it's a tough age. <laughs> well, it's funny. You think just, just in, well, as you apply that to life, though, right? It, it, it's funny. I'm sure you can attest to this, Mickey, that for you and your profession, right, if you hang around successful people, entrepreneurs, like-minded business people, right, that really sets the tone for you as a business owner, right? And that's what you are. And you know, as a wife, mother, business owner, this is what you excel in. And same for our kids, right? If our kids have good friends and a good crowd, right? And people they're hanging around with, you know, it does bring some comfort. And that's, I think, the challenge most of us, you know, deal with as parents. Yeah. No, I know also, like, I feel like the world has changed so much since we were children that there's so much at their fingertips, like social media, all that kind of stuff. So just in general, there's a lot that even I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not that old. But like, I don't yeah. understand how to do any of this. What's yeah. going on? So it's it's a lot. We're also adapting and evolving with them, and they're just really good at keeping up with the times. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is. I mean, you think about bullying when we dealt with kids, and now social bullying, I mean, it's a whole different 
Yeah, like you bowling know. back then was swing a punch, yeah. walk away, sticks and stones. Now it is like next level. I'm like, how are kids this mean? Why is it yeah. like even available? So, yeah, it makes it really tough, you know. But getting back to the business side for you, you know, you mentioned you have five amazing team members there at Mickey Klein Interior. So, how do you delegate the responsibility? Are there certain focuses each of them have? How have you really hit your stride as far as, you know, setting the expectations for your team? Right. So I have um, a senior designer. Um, you know, once once I had that assistant, you know, present, it was much easier to delegate. Um, whereas I like to focus on everyone's strengths. So if one is better at specking, whereas the other one's better at elevations and the other one's better at the design aspect of pulling all the materials together. Um, I like everyone to focus on what their strong points are. Therefore, it's, I guess it eliminates a lot of confusion because now that we have this almost assembly line, I would say, um, it just makes the project more enjoyable for everyone because they get to really zone in on what they actually enjoy because that's their strength. Um, that's really it's really what we do. Well, it's really smart. I mean, you think that assembly line, and it's not that this is a production you know, no. system. It's just you're, what you're doing is you're optimizing. You, you understand what the talents are of each of the individuals. You put them in a yeah. position to be successful. You empower them, and now you know that yeah. system works really yeah. effectively. So and everyone likes to like do what they're good at. They don't like to sit there and struggle. All yeah. Work, so. well, well, that's a key to being a good leader, too, and a good owner is that if you understand what they're good at and you could put them in the in, – in, that wheelhouse that they're really good at, you know, you're going to be more successful as a company yes. brand anyways. Totally. So how, you know, when you think about hiring though, I know for us, culture is really big and a lot of contractors and designers and architects I speak with, you know, one of their biggest challenges right now is hiring even for the labor pool. So when you're hiring someone or even maybe the example of the five you've brought on, you know, what do you look for if, if I'm a designer looking to work for Make It Client Interiors, like what is it that you would expect or be looking for? Okay, so personally, I like I like that whoever comes to the team is capable theoretically at doing everything, capable at doing renderings, capable at choosing selections, capable at specking um, elevations. I need them to really know how very well to do everything. So the skills of basic interior design. That's what I'm looking for. Now, obviously everyone has their strengths. So whatever we are either lacking or need more of, um, that's really what I'll zone in on. So if you have all of the skills, you know, in interior design and we're looking for someone who is just amazing at elevations that can like keep up with larger scale projects, you know, bigger buildings, then that's really the questions that I would gear toward gear towards in the interview. I can't speak English either. <laughs> um, you know, I'll just see where what our needs are at the time when I'm hiring. It's good. So it's someone that's versatile in the sense that they they understand at least all the different aspects of the design mm -hmm. process. Um, right. But then as you start to see their talents, and you're going to hone in and, and put them where they specialize. Yeah. Yeah. Like I need to see their portfolio. I need to know where their previous um, job was, um, you know, that kind of thing. So I can see what style, you know, if they're if I also really do look for speed, meaning if they can catch the concept, the design concept per project and understand how to execute it fast or in a in a timely manner, 
that is also a big thing because since I said we do a lot of fast turnarounds, quick turnarounds, lead times are really quick. Um, you know, I need them to keep up with that pace. And, and I love that you share that. I don't, I don't think most people realize that have not done a lot of commercial. When you think about time and speed, I mean, they're fast. They're fast moving, especially, you know, builders of mine that I, that I work with, you know, that build schools. And for whatever reason, it's always like, okay, the kids are out of school. You know, we got to be done. We got to build this gymnasium or we got to do right. this addition. Or like now I have a, a, a friend of mine that's building a school. And of course, they just got the finance approval now and they want to be open for next school year, right? Which in Arizona is in July. I mean, end of July, wow. they start school. And you wow. start thinking you got to build an entire school campus in nine months, right? And time's money. They got to be open for the school year because it delays at the county. And How do you everywhere. do that then? It's, it's very complicated. And so it, I'm glad you asked that. So on, on the commercial scale, it's a little bit different. So when they're having these meetings, they actually, uh, the, the builder that I'm working with, it's a different mentality. So in most cases, you'll sit down and you'll bid a project and you'll create a schedule this is different. What they're doing is as they're sitting down for the presentation with the owner of the school, each of the general contractors came in with their sub base. So they'd come in with the steel company. Oh. They'd come in with the concrete company. They'd come with all their vendors, like the key ones, the really big ones that are the involved. Right. Yeah. So they'd have everyone there. They'd have an operation representative from each company, director of operations. And then as they sat for their presentation, they would, they would dictate here is, it, it was truly design build. So this, they, they would say, this is what we're going to do uh, for the steel. This is the product we're going to do. This is how we're going to engineer it because we can actually get this in time with COVID. We can put it together. And then here's the crews, you know, here's the manpower we're going to dedicate to this project. So wow. what ends up happening is the selection wasn't so much on price. I mean, price is important. Don't get me wrong, but it was more on what subcontractors can come in with the best, not only VE, but as far as available product and then what's the manpower they have and then how are you wow. going to get this schedule done nine months then it's really complicated for the team because they're working essentially three eight-hour shifts 24 hours a day and so they have to stage it where okay we have different wages at different times of the day different hours but it's a revolving cycle right and then they get the right. municipality involved where they essentially have an inspector assigned to this project or a couple inspectors so that they it's not like where hey i have to call an inspection for tomorrow yeah, they're not waiting 24 hours for an inspection. They can call an inspection and within an hour, someone's coming by and inspecting it. Wow. And even nine inspections. Incredible. It's crazy. So it, it's an amazing feat. Like it, to me, it's amazing because I've, I've seen that. I've, I've walked projects where they've been building these schools and it happens a lot, especially with charter schools and people travel around the country and do this. But to me, it's, uh, it's a lot of headache. It's a lot of stress. <laughs> I would definitely say it sounds stressful, but it also sounds so rewarding when that gets completed within like, the time that they allow for it. It is. It it's so good. Yeah, it's fun. And what they do as well, they'll put up like a time-lapse camera and they'll have that overshoot in the school. And so you think this rapid build, how fast it's going. And they, they will say, look, the reality is we'll get CFOs. So they're going to have the the campus up and operating. They'll have the buildings, the air conditioning, of course. You know, they'll have the FF&E. But a lot of the landscape, you know, and, and there's certain aspects of the campus that won't be complete, you know, like the football Area. Right. I mean, some of the stuff's just ongoing. It'll be the next year, right. right? But a new school, it's okay. It takes time as they're building through it. Right. That's really incredible. Well, well I'm sure you've been through your circumstance too. As you mentioned, speed. I mean, this is really key because you're going to have someone that they have to open up, you know, their hospitality suite or their office or whatever. I mean, 
this is really key. And so they're going to put a lot of pressure on you, make you to get through design yeah. and, and turn. Well, and usually I'm brought in before the construction. So that's why I was wondering how they do that with the designer. Is, is the designer brought in before? But you're saying it's like they have to present and then they just press go. Yeah, well, that's a good question. So what they did in this case is they knew that here we are in September, right? So they knew that they're going to get a permit in September. So all this interviewing was happening back in April and May. That way they could work through some of the VE with the with the engineer, right? Structurally, right. how they're going to design it with with their consultants. Right. And the designer was involved in, you know, figuring out the purchasing of all the equipment in the office and the classrooms. I mean, everything right. goes into that. So that was all happening back in May. And now that's on order. That's going and in design. And now they can hit the ground running. So wow. it's a very incredible. complicated process. It is. But it works. But they all are. <laughs> and it's no different. I mean, here at, you know, at the local college at ASU, Arizona State, right? They're building these multifamily units. And, you know, time's money, right? They have to get it open by these dates. And it's it's incredibly complex because what I, I don't think what most people realize right now in this market, at least from my point of view, is what's difficult about high-end multifamily, and you've done this, Mickey, is that you have to have a large crew size because it's multifamily. You know, there could be 100 rooms, 200 rooms, 300 rooms. Yeah. So you have to have companies that have the capability to staff it, but the manpower, right? The manpower, but right. you also have to have more quality, you know, more quality craftsmanship. This isn't an apartment, and that's where it's really tough right now. I, I know that people building multifamily are having that challenge because they don't have either companies, subcontracting companies that have enough power, and then also have the quality, quality right? Control. Right. And that's really tough because trying to hit those timelines and you know stay out of any issues with, I don't want to say class action, but just issues where the quality's <laughs> not there, right? It, it's a right. tough tough pill to swallow right now. It's true. It's true. Now, we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. And so from your side, Mickey, you know, going back to the design side, um, how emotional do the clients get? Like if it's an office, I, I'm sure it differs if it's an office or it's a personal use or hospitality restaurant. I mean, how does that differ from the client, you know, how involved they get? We always have a kickoff meeting. We're always like super like in touch. I want to hear what their style is. I want to hear their vision. Um, and then we tend to present to them renderings or mood boards with whatever we feel would fit the space based on either their vision or their wish list or 
or different design elements that they've mentioned. And once they okay it, you know, it's pretty smooth sailing after that. Um, they are really involved. They are really, I like for them to be involved. I like to alleviate the headache at the end and more, you know, deal with the criticism if they have any or their comments or their feedback from the beginning. That way we know we are doing exactly what the client wants. So they're pretty involved. I, I force them to be involved or a representative from their company if they are not available as owners to be involved. But I, yeah. I, I like that. So and it's really smart because it helps you make sure you're going down the right path, right? From the beginning yes. from design. Yes. And and so from your and side. I know that they'll be happy at the end of the day. Like I don't want to give them a product that they're like, this is not what we wanted. So Right. That customer satisfaction is really key. And so is there a certain aesthetic that attracts you more that you like the most, or if a client's going down that road that you get really excited about? Um of course, I mean, as a designer, everyone has their own taste. So my personal taste would be like a modern transitional glam. You could tell from my Instagram right. um, inspo <laughs> that I post. Like that's more my flavor. Now, most of my clients don't like that actually, um, which is fine. And as long as I can make them happy with giving them the design, you know, that they like for their space, I'm happy. Um, but really, I also understand that my taste is not everyone else's taste and I can appreciate other design, you know, trends and design elements and, you know, styles. So for me, I, I don't really care what the client's taste is. If they're happy, I'm happy. There are clients that I won't, you won't even begin to want to see at the end of the day, because I'm like, that is so not my style. I can't believe I just gave that to them, but they're so happy and that's exactly what they wanted. So it's their place, you know, it's their project. So if they're happy, I'm happy. See, but that's nice. It's it's nice to work with designers that also have that mentality, right? Because I'm sure it's difficult from your side where you have the training and the background, the expertise where, you know, it, you're going to counsel them. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you want to implement their vision, their design yeah. and still try to make it as, you know, as best of a presentation and professional as you can. Right. And I'm very into like the practical aspect of the project. So if a client is saying, oh, they really want like this color, blah, 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 and it doesn't come in the material that they need for that exact area, I will steer them away from it. I'll be like, oh, if your favorite color is green and this is what you want to implement, let's do it with art or accessories or chair fabric, whereas your counters aren't green because obviously the material that we need to use for that space doesn't come in those colors or patterns. So, you know, I try to give them their vision and their wish list, but also being practical and making sure it lasts them like long enough where they're not replacing it in the year from now. Well, what's interesting too about your background, so you have a degree from the Art Institute of Michigan. So how has that impacted your design career and were you always you know, keen on going into interior design? So, um, no, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I think when I was young, I was very into like fashion. I loved shoes like anywhere I can buy a pair of shoes. Like I didn't care if it was from Payless. Um, I just wanted shoes, lots and lots of shoes. So I really always wanted to be a shoe designer. Um, I did not go to fashion school. So I ended up realizing that since I was artistic and I do like the finer things in life when it comes to being in a space that makes 
that makes sense. I'm very into logical design. So if I'm in a place that's nice and it makes sense and it feels right, um, I wanted to carry that out. So I think a lot of, I was just good at, you know, remodeling my house or picking different accessories. And that trickled out to helping friends with their houses and that kind of stuff. Um, before I actually went to school, I did an internship so that really set the tone. If it was something I really wanted to do, which I saw that it was, um, that's really what it was. But no, my true passion was and is still very much shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm very into my shoes. We'll just leave it at that. It might be borderline addiction, but... That's awesome. That's fantastic. I can relate. I like that. So, you know, as far as getting into design, did you end up working for a firm? Did you end up just going out on your own? I mean, how was that transformation to, you know, here you are 12 years later? Right. So I did that internship. Um, after I went to school, I really, I did very few projects at one time just to not feel stressed. I was a young mom, little kids. It was just something that I slowly built up very slowly. Um, I never worked for anyone else because I was always into being around for my kids. Um, I, I think I never bit off more than I could do, I guess is what I'm saying. I was always very good at understanding what my capabilities are. So as a one-man show or one-woman show, I wasn't able to take on e-projects because I was just doing it by myself. I don't think I ever could really work for someone else when you're like juggling two babies literally. And yeah. it, it just, it wasn't for me, I guess, of how I started my career and where I was in life. It just didn't make sense for me. Personally. Yeah. It, and it's always amazing to me, like for someone such as yourself, Mickey, that, you know, self-made entrepreneur, if you will, where you didn't work for someone else. It's like you had a lot of background, you know, as far as here's how you cost, here's how you order, here's how you set up vendor accounts, right? Here's the design process. Here's how you do CAD, you know, all the things that go into being a designer. And so it's that quick learning. So, you know, you rewind back 12 years ago, what do you wish you would have known then, right? Starting from the beginning, maybe for the organization side or the vendor side or how you do your pricing. Good question. Um, I wish I knew everything I know today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I will say it was a lot of, you know, you know, trip, fall, get back up again. And I do feel extremely accomplished knowing that I taught myself that along with the help of others. I, like I said all along, I like to hear the criticism. I like to hear, no, maybe you could do it better this way. Um, I guess living and learning through my own mistakes. So while what's something I could have, I, I wish I knew everything because life would have been a lot smoother, but I also really appreciate how I came to where I am today, knowing that a lot of it was me. And, and I can honestly say with the help of others and, you know, giving me advice, but at the end of the day, I, I know that, you know, I woke up and I decided to keep going instead of giving up when the frustration kicked in or the lack of knowledge kicked in. So. Well, and you haven't stopped there. I mean, here you are, you know, you're getting into design, you know, you're working for your close network, it expands, you grow, you're hiring, you know, here you are 12 years later with this amazing firm in operation doing these incredible commercial projects that we love following on social media. And now, you know, the venture continues where you're starting your own textile line. So where does that 
entrepreneurship mentality and desire to say, okay, let's continue to expand into this realm? Drive. Um, Where does it come from? It's just, I guess, my inner voice saying like, now what? What's next? Now what? What are you going to do now? Um, I don't know. It's, it's really, it comes from within me. No one's pushing me. You know, I don't, I don't like to compare or look at what other people do. I just really like to say, you know, what are you ready for, Mickey? What can you handle? What can you bite off that won't be more than you can chew? How, how does it differ, you know, just the business operation itself as you're going into the textile design, you know, company as opposed to the, you know, fee for service people, you know, side of design? I mean, how the companies differ? Is it more challenging, one or the other? Well, it's, it, it was, it's new for me. Like, I don't know enough about it to not have other people behind me guiding me and you know, giving me advice and telling me what would be best. Um, I guess it's a lot of having the right people backing you and also understanding the, I guess, understanding the process more than I understand. So people that I can trust to guide me to where I need to be. So I guess it's a little similar when it comes to a team. Um, But I also know that I'm not fully in control. There are things outside of my control that, you know, I can and can't be on top of. Well, that's key of being, you know, a good CEO, right? As you mentioned, I mean, that's your role now, but being a good CEO, you understand that there are people that have talents that are really exceptional, right? That, you know, and you put them in those places you mentioned you're doing right now. And even with the textile, you're going to rely on them, you know, as they, as they move forward with that, it's no different than what, you know, I do. I have, someone in our pre-construction department that is really good at detailing plans and red lines and going through all these different sheets and dissecting them from the architect and other people in the field, right. That are really good. And so you put the right people in place and that's their expertise. That's what they're good at. And, and you rely on that because that's what allows, you know, our company's only as successful as every person that's involved, you know, all the way down. It's so true. And it's also knowing other people's strengths and knowing your own weaknesses. So you can have someone that has whatever your weakness is being their biggest strength. So it almost it's complimentary. So have you found any benefit? Are you running your social media or who does all of your social? So um, believe it or not, I'm very heavily involved. <laughs> very time consuming, as you would tell, because you follow me on Instagram. There are weeks that I like can't post, like I can't. I, I can't physically do everything. And then there's weeks where I'm like, no, I think I'm going to take a break and focus on, you know, other things that are on my schedule. Um, it's, it's time consuming, but it's also very rewarding. Um, I do have help. Um, but it's always me that's going to respond, answer and be involved. So have you found benefit? I mean, do you have you received any job leads? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot, actually, a lot of people, um, have come to me either by seeing, you know, something on social media that I posted, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, or, you know, word of mouth that someone knows me and we've connected through Instagram or LinkedIn. So I do find them super beneficial. So, um, yeah. And the reason I want to ask you about LinkedIn, Mickey is, is honestly, I, you don't see a ton of like designers are very prevalent on Instagram, right? Especially Pinterest. And you see that you don't see a whole lot that are very active on LinkedIn, whereas you have been. And so how, what, what was your strategy or was there one, or have you just found LinkedIn to be incredibly beneficial for your business? Um, so I really, I mean, I started off with Instagram. I didn't really know much about LinkedIn. And I was actually told by a friend, like, Mickey, if you want connections to the decision makers, you really need to be on LinkedIn. So I was very slow in the beginning. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Way above my bakering. 
And then once I got familiar with it, I realized that they were right. That, you know, a lot of, I would say LinkedIn is more for the decision makers, the business aspect of it. And Instagram is more the visualization, that kind of thing. So vendors, also decision makers, but more, you know, vendors or um, other business relationships outside of the decision makers. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the decision makers because on LinkedIn, you have a direct connect as you have, and especially with you being in the hospitality world, you know, you can connect with all these executive CEOs, directors, right, that are on that platform. And it's just that constant fulfillment of, hey, you're putting these visuals out there, making your content, and then you're staying in front of them. Right, right. So that's really... And how about the blogging? I know you do blogging too, and I know a lot of businesses have been really successful on the blogs. And one I thought was really interesting, you you did one where you're talking about some of your favorite aesthetics that aren't used enough, you know, from organic and Scandinavian and boho eclectic, you know, and transitional. And we spoke yeah. a little bit about your favorite one. You know, how's the blogging, you know, enhanced the business or helped you as well with the bandwidth? I think it just shares the knowledge that I've accumulated over all the years to show that, you know, it's it, everything plays a role when you're designing. So the more knowledge I have on how things work together or what's missing or newest trends or different design elements or styles, the more I can help my client execute their vision. Um, so I guess it just shows the knowledge that I try to, you know, take on or educate myself with. I guess that's what I would say the blog really is for. Which is good. And, and blogs are really helpful. As you mentioned, it's funny, we, we've we done some blogs. Um, just we're, we're doing a building science house now, right? That is the net zero. It's the home of the year. And there's some really neat content that we've put out there that we're working with, you know, the consultants on this project. And it, it, it's amazing because we learn too, as we're writing the blogs, you know, we're doing the research and doing the build, right. of course, but it also is another avenue for people to look at that and see what others are doing. And so we, we talked about this before, you know, that continuing education as a de- designer is really important, especially right. for you in the world that you work in, you know, how do you continue to stay in front of design trends and design aesthetics and products? I mean, there's just so much out there. So there's a lot, like I said, we had mentioned <laughs> a lot of lunch and learns. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I do like how the vendors come in and educate and, and show us the newest, greatest, most functional, you know, all the different elements that go into design. But I also, you know, as codes and regulation, everything's changing. Things just keep changing. So really, like I said, I, I like to be in touch with the other trades that are on the project just for our education, um, that kind of thing. I just, the more knowledge I can get per project or client, the better the project turns out. So it's just always always, I think, willing is the word, always willing to learn. It just helps educate you along the way. Yeah, I agree. And and so right now, what are other things I know being a mom, super busy with kids, you know, from high school down, what are other things that, you know, you and your family like to do for fun? Ooh, we like the beach, the pool, outside, barbecue. We're a little low-key like that. Um, you know, not so into... I guess we don't travel so much. We we live now, now that we don't live in Michigan anymore, we live now where we always love to vacation. So all three of my kids love to be by the ocean. Um, so we'll do that. What else do we do? I don't know. High schoolers like to uh, have fun, hang out, shop, go out to eat, that kind of thing. 
don't know, movies, arcades, the typical family stuff. And we don't really have the need to travel so much because everyone really in in our home <laughs> likes to walk across the street to the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're that close to the ocean, there's not a huge reason to travel, right? Most of us are going to the ocean. It's not even a 10 minute walk to the ocean. So Yeah, that is the one thing I miss. You know, I grew up in San Diego, so I you know, that was as as a teenager growing up in San Diego, it's fun. We go to the beach all the time. And yeah. Especially in the summer after school we'll go down there because you know in the evening after school everyone's leaving, all the families are gone, everyone's gone, it's not so crowded. So it's easy to get right. a parking spot. And here in Florida, there's a lot of like the outdoor malls that are near the water. You know, it's it's nice. Yeah, there's it's a lot nice. to do in Florida for yeah, sure. There's a lot to do. So what's up kind of and exciting? I know you have some amazing projects, you know, that that we need to be watching. I mean, what what are you excited about right now that you're working on? Oh, what am I excited that I'm working on? We finished a pizza store. So that's exciting because they're going to start construction soon. Um, they just got their permits. So, so on the pizza store, is this their first one? Is it part of a franchise? It's part of their franchise. They're going to take this design and, you know, I guess integrate it to all their other locations. So it's super exciting that I get to have my touch or our touch on all their locations. Um, so I'm really excited to see that come to life because that's here in Florida, close by. Um, what else is exciting? A lot of healthcare, a lot of nursing home upgrades. Um, construction, that kind of thing. Um, it's exciting to see residents and the elderly get to enjoy something new and fresh and enjoyable and clean. So I like seeing those projects come to life. The versatility. Yeah, it's amazing, Mickey, because I, you know, having, having worked in construction in some of these, I mean, just the clientele that you're working and operating with from a restaurant, you know, that's part of a franchise and has other chains to you know, a nursing facility to office. I mean, the clientele and complexity, I mean, I, I would imagine that just inspires you every day because it's just a totally different feel for each client that you're working with and, and who they're catering to. Right, right. I guess it, it, it helps that I can cater to all of those industries, I would say. Um, and I guess my business model works for all of them, which also makes it a lot easier to just do what we're good at, which is the design and, you know, try to carry out their vision for their project. And, and it's, you know, going back to just one thing I wanted to ask you that I felt to earlier was as you start thinking about business development, I mean, one thing that's a little difficult if you're a residential builder, build a suit, right? As you get a new project, you may cheer for a second, but you're like, okay, well, what's coming next, right? It's that pipeline you're continuing. And what's tough is every client's new, right? It's you, you may have repeat clients, but they may be three, five, seven years down the road. Whereas, you know, t sometimes in commercial, you can get on board with a developer or a pizza restaurant, as you mentioned, where there's going to be continual work. I mean, do you find that your business development chain is help going commercial? either returning clients like that, that if we executed one, they're like, okay, we have a bunch more for you. Um, others is, you know, word of mouth. If I've done one that one owner likes, they'll tell a friend or they'll tell someone else in their industry, oh, she was really great. She did this. And they're like, oh, that's perfect for me. That's what I need. Um, it's really word of mouth, but it's also the business relationship where a lot of my clients have multiple locations um, that they would need design for. So, Thank God, you know, our, our returning clients really do help getting new clients. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. In fact, I had an architect on, 
um, many episodes ago, Eric Peterson with PHX here in town. And he mentioned that he did a golf course, like a clubhouse, and it went really well. And it's a pretty tight-knit community. So now these golf course clubhouses, you know, as they these operators in other parts of the country, like, hey, we did this clubhouse with this architecture firm. They're phenomenal. And so it just exploded, that word of mouth, because as they know that you've been successful, Mickey, doing this nursing right. facility was well, the other ones come it's it's yeah you know it's easier transition you know recommendation to bring you on yeah it's so true it really is that's what helps like the business relationships basically well it's been amazing mickey i mean you're so talented i love following all your stuff on linkedin and um instagram and everything you're doing and so for those listening yeah where can they find you um, they can find me on Instagram, Mickey Klein Interiors, Mickey underscore Klein underscore Interiors, um, and Mickey Klein on LinkedIn. Um, we have a LinkedIn page also, Mickey Klein Interiors. Um, my website, MickeyKlein.com. <laughs> There's no E in Mickey, and that's it, M-I-C-K-Y-K-L-E-I-N. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, Mickey. Well, thank you so much for making time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.